Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 13th of October. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, financial vultures circle bail-in bonds. Banks are about to keel over. And economic reality persuades more to support public banking. So, Craig, before we start, you've got an announcement to make? Yes, Robbie. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot on our program, uh, you know, and we've been organising around this for quite some months now. We've had a petition going both online, but this is the written petition that we've had going and circulating right throughout the country. It's called Break Up the Big Banks Now, Pass Glass-Steagall, and we're about to submit nearly 4,000 signers to the Federal Parliament. That's going in this afternoon. So hopefully it'll be tabled in, some, in, in the November sitting of Parliament. Uh, Robbie, so that's going to be the, another strategic element of our intervention for Glass-Steagall in this country. So people yep. should watch out for that. And we'll let people know when it is tabled uh, because it also launches the next phase of our campaign for Glass-Steagall, which is a new petition beginning as of today, yes. which is entitled Global Crash Coming, Australia Needs Glass-Steagall and a National Bank. And maybe you'd like to read that petition out. I will. The, the difference in the two petitions is this one we've deliberately... Um, emphasised the National Bank because, as we know, Glass-Steagall is, is an emergency um, measure to stop the rot. Right? It's like a tourniquet on a, on a bleeding um, wound and you need to have something that thinks about rebuilding the country and keeping and actually getting the economy going again and the National Bank is crucial. So what this one reads, This petition of the Citizens Electoral Council draws to the attention of the House that the world is plunging into a new, more severe financial crisis than that of 2008. Continued speculation by too big to fail banks has driven corporate, household and mortgage debt to record highs in many countries, including Australia. The global bubble in toxic derivatives is now an estimated 1,200 trillion, i.e. and $36 trillion in Australia. I'll just go back for a second. 1,200 trillion is 1.2 quadrillion dollars. When interest rates rise, there will be mass corporate defaults, as the IMF has warned, and mortgage failures. The propping of Australia's property bubble will devastate the big four banks. Mortgages comprise more than 60% of their lending, the highest rate in the world. This risk has built up under the supervision of APRA, Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, which is funded by the banks and protects their predatory practices and even outright criminality including drug and terrorism-related money laundering. We therefore ask the House to immediately legislate to disband APRA and replace it with, one, a strict separation of commercial banking from investment banking and all other financial services modelled on the USA's successful Glass-Steagall Act 1933 to protect deposits and core banking services. Two, a publicly owned and controlled national bank to regulate the private banks, and extend credit for public investment in essential infrastructure and productive industries as the original Commonwealth Bank did with great success under the wartime Curtin-Chifley governments. So, Craig, that's the petition. And just to, because it put the emphasis in the Australian predicates on the um, property market here, which, which, as we've said for a long time, that is the key. Our banks have been able to load everything up into that market when it blows, our banks are going to be like the banks in Ireland, Spain, the United Kingdom, the United States, they're goners, right? So with that in mind, have a quick look at this 
Channel 9 news report from this week about the property market in Sydney, where you'll see distinct falls in property prices for the first time in a while. It's the Sydney homeowner's worst nightmare, and it's slowly coming true. After more than five years, the property boom has come to an end, and experts say prices will keep falling. This is a sign that might be harder to achieve in the future. In the three months to September, Sydney house prices fell, on average, by 1.9%. So the first fall since December quarter 2015, and only the second fall in quarterly house prices in the Sydney market over the past five years. Houses in the city and eastern suburbs have been hit hardest, with prices down 6% in the September quarter. But most regions have fallen. The southwest is down, on average, by 4%. The inner west fell 3.9%, the west 3.8%, the lower north shore is off 2.6%. In fact, the only region that rose is the northern beaches, up 0.4%. And the thing with, that, with those falls, Craig, they're not like 1% for the quarter and whatever, that could be margin of error. This is distinct falls, up to 6%, and the experts can expect that to continue. And you're looking at people soon finding themselves with negative equity and all kinds of nightmare scenarios, right? So that's the purpose of this petition, Robbie, to put in place the actual policies to deal right now before we yeah. actually get into a serious policy, uh, a financial crash. And not that we're not in it already, we're in the early stages. Put the policies in place now to deal with it now instead of when we're in an emergency situation. Yeah. So to all the viewers, get on our website to, and um, sign the petition. Uh, you can order copies to share with people, get involved in our campaign on this. So Craig, before we get into the meat of the show, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about these financial vultures who are circling people's bail-in bonds. Welcome back to the CEC Report. So first, financial vultures circle bail-in bonds. Banks are about to keel over. Now, Craig, just for the benefit of the viewers, just explain what bail-in bonds are. Well, Robbie, these are bonds that are sold by banks, which are sold at higher interest rates than usual. They're a new invention, actually, because what happens is when banks get into trouble, these are the first things that are, that are basically written off by the banks. Well, they, they, they don't tell them. They're, they're written off in a different way. They become shares instead of bonds. Yeah. But the, because the bank's in trouble... The first thing that becomes worthless when a bank's in trouble is its shares. So to convert bonds that are worth something into shares, they're converting them into worthless shares, so then they become effectively written Ineffectively. Off. But also what happens is that these, because they get written down into shares, it also dilutes the share pool, which mm. affects the shareholding of the entire bank. So it affects the entire bank as a whole. Now, what, what it does do, Robbie, is it shifts the, 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 the number of liabilities that the banks have, it removes that liability, yeah. and so-called makes the bank more solvent. But it affects, as I said, the shareholding of the bank, the value of the capital of the bank. It, ex it dilutes everything down to so the overall position of the bank is still worse off. Now, in 2013, Craig, the world was shocked when so depositors in Cyprus were bailed in. They lost their deposits in banks. And there was a huge backlash to that. We led it here in Australia. These bail-in bonds became the default bail-in policy. Okay, we're, we will pretend we're not going to grab your deposits, you know, we'll, but... We're going to sell, let the banks sell these bonds like mad, and that's what they've been doing. In Australia, they've sold billions of them. The big four Australian banks have sold lots of them. And what's particularly notable about Australia is our banks targeted mums and dads. And 
This was shocking because even in the UK, the Bank of England wouldn't let their banks sell these bonds to mums and dads. You had to be institutional investors because they're actually quite complex. There's a, if, they, if the bank's performance drops enough, they can be completely wiped out. But even incremental drops, they can, they can start making losses, right? And you don't know what you're buying if you're just a, you know, an uns, unsophisticated investor. But our banks have sold these to mums and dads and sucked them in with quite high interest rates. In February, remember, the Commonwealth Bank put out some of these bonds at 8%. Mm. If you're a self-funded retiree and the Commonwealth Bank says, do you want to buy a bond in us at 8% at today's interest rates, you're going to get sucked in. Robbie, I think it's important to make the, 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 uh, the, the political point because back in 2013, when this happened in Cyprus, people were totally and utterly aghast that the, that the governments could come in and literally steal people's deposits. Now, we mobilised this in Australia because we found evidence that this was the same, the same ideas were going to take place here in Australia. Now, we mobilised big time. We took out ads in the Australia and so forth, don't steal our deposits, you know, past Glass-Steagall back in 2013, 2014 and so forth. So what's happened is instead of the... And this happens this is happening globally. Instead of uh, taking on the political... Uh, dynamite of stealing people's deposits, they've come up with this idea, yeah. well, let's do it through the back door. Let's issue these bonds Sub so that people don't really know what's going on. Let's grab their money anyway. And when things go sour, we still have the same idea of getting hold of their money, but they, it's not so politically explosive. And, and that's what's happening in, in, in Australia. I mean, you've got you know, billions. I think, we're saying, I think it was something like $70 billion worth of these bonds being sold in Australia. I know there was $46 billion sold in 2014, and I think it's rapidly grown up to $70 to $80 billion today. These are sold on the stock market. They're bought up by superannuation funds on the stock market. People don't even know, what yeah. people don't even know that they're buying into these things. As you say, they're 8% interest, right, because the superannuation funds have to be seen to be making large yep. Returns for their customers. People don't care where their money is going if they see these large returns until it all goes pear-shaped. Yep. And it's about to go pear-shaped. That's right. Well, yeah, and one feature of them, of course, the fact they exist is because the, what caused the crash in 2008 wasn't solved and the authorities had never known, look, this is going to happen again and they wanted this sort of t this mechanism. We can, it's called a buffer. We, 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 just, we described in a press release a while ago as the Australian people being strapped to the front of a car like a human um, uh, airbags, right, that type of thing. Um, and now, though, we're seeing signs in the financial system where there's a lot more attention being placed on these things because there's an expectation that a crash is nigh. So one of the signs of that is um, this week the Bank of England has just mandated British banks have to sell four billion more of these bail-in bonds. And the Bank of England has officially said that these will count towards their official bail-in policy. Now that's just sort of like a, a, um, an administrative thing, but that official designation didn't exist until this week. So they've said, okay, this is part of your bail-in, that's your buffer to protect you from a crash, but you haven't got enough of them to sell more. And what caught our attention, Craig, was that the, although they've been sold like mad in Australia, APRA here hasn't designated them as part of the official bail-in policy. It's typical of APRA, Robert. It's ass-covering. They don't know these things are toxic. Yeah. They don't want to get caught endorsing them because they know they're about to go pear-shaped. Well, the question is, though, will they follow the lead of the Bank of... Now, the Bank well, of England's done it and given them cover, right? Oh, well, you know, it's the Bank of England, so maybe we can do it here. 
That's the question. Will that now become part of the official policy? The official policy, by the way, is called TLAC, Total Loss Absorbing Capacity, mm-hmm. right? And one of the frauds about this, Craig, is, of course, is that bail-in bonds have been bailed in in Europe because they've got an ongoing bail-in crisis, but they, they, they're invented with the idea, oh, we'll have these bail-in systems so you won't need to have bail-outs. In Europe, where they've used them, they've, had to, they've done the bail-in and had to do bail-out anyway, mm-hmm. right? And so... Um, These are sort of signs that the financial authorities are expecting something big to happen. Well, something has just been reported yesterday, which to me confirms that, um, you know, something really big is about to happen. And that is, and this came from Zero Hedge, is reporting, Goldman Sachs has again been caught betting on a financial crash. Now, before we get into the details, let me just remind viewers, and, and... you might have seen this in the movie The Big Short. But before the last crash, there were some big players that bet a crash would happen. And by betting, I mean actually made bets. Not at their local bookie, but at AIG Financial Services, right? That went pear-shaped and blew up the world. Um, in the movie, you got these smaller players make bets with Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs went on to make bets with AIG. And they were actively betting the system would crash. And what was worse about Goldman Sachs is it was selling... Things like um, collateralized debt obligations based on mortgage-backed securities to its customers pretending that the mortgage market was great and at the same time it was laying these bets that that same market would crash. So Goldman Sachs should be in jail for the fraud here. Well, they're pretty much doing the same thing. And what they've come up with a different kind of derivative. The one in 2008 was called credit default swaps. It was the credit default swaps made that Goldman Sachs made with AIG that was at the heart of the crash. Because when Lehman Brothers went under, these credit default swaps that AIG had bought from Goldman suddenly became explosive, right? And the bailout, when AIG had to be bailed out, all the bailout money went straight through to Goldman Sachs so it could pay its bets, Goldman Sachs bets back, right? Well, they've come up with a different type of credit default swap they call a total return swap. But what are they betting on? They're betting on bail-in bonds. And they're getting their custody, they're betting on bail-in bonds in Europe in a big way. Um, the particular banks in these indexes they're betting on include uh, Banco Santander SA, which is one of the big, uh, it's the big Spanish bank. Deutsche Bank AG, the biggest, one of the biggest banks in the world based in Germany. And HSBC Holdings. These are the huge banks of Europe that they're betting on their bail-in bonds, that these will quickly become worthless. We're going to show you, put two graphs on the screen from this Zero Hedge article. The first one shows how, thanks to this speculating in bail-in bonds, the the bail-in bond market has exploded. And what you see there is is, um, the trading in bail-in bonds is sort of normal trading up and down a little bit. And then just before 2015, a real spike in these things when the big players got in to start making bets on them, including bets that they would crash, right? And that's the position we're in now. The second graph is for is the bail-in bonds in the um, Spanish bank, Banco Popular Español. And what you see is the trading in its bail-in bonds and then right at the end, completely crashing when they're bailed in. They just completely collapse to nothing because they're bailed in. That's just, that just illustrates what we're talking about. So that's what we're, they're doing now. So Craig, quickly, two things. One, when you see this, these vault, the same vultures as last time, circling again like this, a 
Is this another good indication, like the property market, the system's set to topple over again? And then secondarily, doesn't the fact that the banks think they can get away with this again show that one, they didn't change their, their practices from last time that caused the crisis last time, and two, they expect to get bailed out again when it goes pear-shaped? Robbie, this is why we, we're pushing for Glass-Steagall, because we have to overturn the entire political nature of the system. Our entire system has been hooked on gambling and speculation. We've driven out our manufacturing sector. We've shut down high-tech industries, the car industry, for example. We've shut it down. You know, we've, we've, we've gone with globalisation and free trade and exported our industries overseas and become effectively one just huge speculative financial industry in this country. Now, we need to go back to Glass-Steagall so we can separate out the legitimate commercial banking system we need that from this highly speculative merchant banking operation. Shut it, completely quarantine it, yep. and just protect and rebuild our manufacturing and you know, agriculture and uh, you know, our productive sector. And the fact they didn't do that last time... As it, we're, now, we're now like nine Obama, years further off, why this is about uh, happening again. further down the tube. So that's why we've got to go with the glass digger and we've got to have a national bank because the national bank... A government-owned bank has to politically take the reins and say all of this stuff is going to kill people. Yep. And that's what it's going to do. Look, look. And, and the problem is the mentality of people allowing the banking system to put them in a position where it's going to kill them. They're going to lose their savings, just like many people lost their savings in the Great Depression because they trusted these financial predators. Yep. And that's the danger here. And people have to wake up. They have to see that... They have to see what is going on here and get out of it and start to support our campaign for actually their future survival. Well, on that note of a national bank, Craig, that brings us to our next subject. So let's take a break and we'll raise that afterwards. Welcome back to the CEC report. Economic reality persuades more to support public banking. And of course, Craig, before the break, you raised the importance of a national bank, which is what our new petition's about. So again, get involved, help sign the petition and distribute that with us. Um, but something quite significant has happened. It's incremental, but symbolically, I think it's very significant. And that is that um, a week or so ago, the Small Business Ombudsman of Australia, Kate Carnell, in a submission to the Productivity Commission, raised the one idea that is guaranteed to send the private banking cartel in Australia into conniptions of rage, and that is a government bank. <laughs> and there's no other issue, Craig, in Australian history that's been more contentious than this. We don't have time to go through the whole history, but read, read our latest alert service about it. We go through some of it in there. Um, this is the Australian Alert Service, so call in and get a copy of that if you want to know more. We've got lots of material on this. The CEC did a lot of original research into this subject, right? Um, the thing with it, this was what the Labor Party fought for, for all up, all up until the, the Whitlam era. And when they were fighting, their enemies, they called them the money power, mm. right? And they said, well, but, you know, the money power cannot have total power over the economy. We've got to have, John Curtin said this, unless the government has its own bank, basically, so it can control monetary policy, it's actually not the proper government. It's not governing except in a secondary degree. In other words, the real power is with the money power. And Labor, old Labor wouldn't stand for that, right? But from Hawke and Keating onwards, who were Labor, but they're complete sellouts, this idea was scrapped and they thought they had killed it off. And just to 
illustrate how cockily they how cocky they were about killing it off. Here is the bloviating banker's boy, Joe Hockey, in January 2009, commenting on the global financial crisis and saying this. And if there have been any lessons learned, Mr Speaker, over the last 30 years in Australia, it is the government should not be involved in banking. All right. So this guy had the temerity to take this crisis, which had been caused by the private banks of New York and London and whatever, and blaming it on government banking, right? Anyway, so that's the they thought. Ideologically, this thing is dead. Well, it's back, and not just in Australia. Quickly, in the United Kingdom, it's a centrepiece of Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party over there's manifesto. They want a, a, a national investment bank, a government bank, 500 billion pounds to fund infrastructure and development. Even in the United States, for Donald Trump's campaign, he, he had a promise, a list of promises for his first 100 days. That, that list included a national investment bank to fund infrastructure. Now, how they find, funded the bank was going to be a bit iffy, and they were used, talking about private-public partnerships, etc., which is a, a Macquarie Bank scam. Donald Trump's now canned that. Um, but at least this was the, their idea was, you know, we should do this. In other words, ideologically, they weren't saying, oh, government shouldn't be involved in banking. But here, we're seeing something quite significant. I want to give two examples. Um, before I do, though, bear in mind, this idea has, has been alive and well that whole time. Yeah, Robert, us. I was going to say that because in the, like this last alert service, which, you know, you've written about, you've run this interview in there about, with, that you did in 2003 with Dr. Jim Cairns, who was yeah. the treasurer. Under the, in the government, government, right? And he was saying that essentially the National Bank or the idea of a National Bank was actually at the heart and the soul of the Labor Party, the old Labor Party. And when it was destroyed under Chifley by the Privy Council, i.e. London, yeah, yeah. the City of London, that's what destroyed the Labor Party. And since then, you know, even though the Whitlam government tried to bring it back, you know, uh, Cairns did some things to try and bring that spirit back. Ever since then, like the, the Labor Party has been dead at its core because of this issue. But what is interesting, Robbie, is that this goes to the very heart of the essence of what Australia has in its soul. Go back to the original Commonwealth Bank, to King O'Malley, to go back to what the Commonwealth Bank did during World War II with Curtin and Chifley. Go back to what even uh, Jim Cairns tried to do under Whitlam and what Whitlam tried to do himself. This, and now Car Car yeah. Carnell is bringing this back, this is what resonates in the hearts and minds of older Australians. Unfortunately, the younger generation have to relive this stuff and, and come to know it again because this is where the future for our country lies, that and Glass-Steagall. And there's, there's many different things that we'll be talking about over the next week on, the, on, on this program as we bring this back to life for people. Well, here's what Kate Carnell, what she said was this, as a small business ombudsman, banks, the private banks, are not lending to small business. They're, they're putting all their lending into the property market, Craig, and gambling there, right? And small business is being starved of credit. And she said, well, we probably need to have the government set up its own bank to fund small business, right? And what's significant about that is she's a liberal. She was the former chief minister of the ACT. And then just quickly, the chief economist of Industry Super Australia, which represents the union super funds, his name's uh, Stephen Anthony, he wrote an article um, last week in the Sydney Morning Herald, Australia's banks are failing to meet their public obligations to drive growth and raise community welfare. This is a long-term problem. And he proposed, there's two suggested reforms, a structural separation of the banks, i.e. what we call Glass-Steagall, and a public bank. Right, so ideologically it's back. That, the, the consensus of not having it has been killed, it's back, and we've played a big role in that. 
But Craig, we've run out of time. Get our copy, get involved in the campaign, get the alert service. Thanks for tuning in and tune in next week for more of the CEC Report.